Wait till my cue. Now! And that concludes tonight's... That concludes tonight's salute to the Garden State of New Jersey. <laughs> now, don't you... You see how easily you can be manipulated? I could have you marching into Poland by morning. <laughs> You know, just for a gag, let's go. I'll tell you, in 15 minutes, I can have this crowd marching down 7th Avenue on its way to the city hall to burn it down. Follow me! <laughs> Haven't you always wanted to have somebody stand out in front of you like this? Our benefactor. <laughs> You know, <laughs> what do you mean unfair? Why, honey, all dictators are unfair. Oh, it's unfair. Oh, did I? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh you're not going to beat me, honey. I'm up here. <laughs> you work on your boyfriend. He's all right. <laughs> oh. Oh, 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 she has never met a man she hasn't broken in 19 years. Oh, and she just lost fight. Oh, the first fight she lost. Well, honey, that's one out of 75. That's all right. But you know, at ease. At ease. Well, I'll tell you, since this is springtime... Yeah, all right, let me handle the show. We'll give you yours after we go off the air, at ease. Or would you like to feel the brisk, ambient air of 7th Avenue? <laughs> Prematurely, friend. We can fix that shoot. Yes, indeed. All right, since it is the springtime, and it's very shortly about to be warm out, and the yeast of... Life is flowing through our veins, and men's minds and hearts are turning to the thoughts of new Pontiacs, new XKEs, and chicks' minds and hearts are turning towards God knows what. We might as well pursue the theme, and since while we were off the air, there was a, an insistent demand for one small 4F... <laughs> that we tell army stories. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, I will tell you an army story that not only combines springtime, it combines the clash of arms, it also combines the phenomenon of the automobile. And by the way, this is not the kind of stuff you see in short stories about the Army. It's not the kind of thing you see in movies about the Army. 
books by Norman Mailer. It's about the real, genuine army. Yeah, it is. Now, seriously. I remember this springtime. I've been in the army a couple of years. Been overseas and back, and I'm a book again. I've got the things, you know, with the little businesses all over. A hard-bitten, angry corporal. Angry, I'm the oldest in-grade T-5 in the U.S. Army. Every outfit that I'm assigned to, immediately as soon as I arrived, they had one phrase. They'd say, the P.O. is closed. That means no promotion. And so immediately, you know, you say, all right. I'm by nature. I was born a corporal. That's what I'll be all my life. Two stripes with a little T under it. That means an honorary corporal. They don't trust you with command. And so there I am, springtime, and I'm, I'm in a signal corps, you see. I'm in a radar outfit, which is a kind of esoteric little outfit. We dug holes in the ground. And we had these big machines and things that hum. And one day, one day the CO, whom I shall designate Captain Robinson, because that was his name, the lout, I say the guilty should pay. And old Captain Robinson, who was a shh, 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 afterwards, old Captain Robinson was a West Pointer, which meant that he was a special kind of nut. <laughs> Very special. Oh, yeah, you know, you could tell the difference. You, know, the, the, you could even tell from, a, from, a, from 500 yards away when you were in the Army what kind of an officer was coming at you. Certain guys just tilted. Other guys, you know, they had their hats pulled down sort of around their eyes. You know, this was an old ex-enlisted man who went to OCS. And deep inside of his heart, there is a PFC. <laughs> And they would always salute kind of apologetically, you know. Like they always felt like they were fun. But then there is, a, there is another kind of an officer. He comes from this family, you know, this nice family that has a connection with that nice senator. You know? Well, it's a special kind, you know. There's only one or two appointments a year, you know. And he's always tall and bronzed. His clothing fits like it was sprayed on it. And there's a certain kind of a blueness to the eye. He's a West Pointer. And he carries this ring. You know, some of them even had their rings wired so that they lit up at night. <laughs> you could see that ring glowing there, you know. And old Cap Robinson was a West Pointer to the core. Chicken all the way. <laughs> You'll have to explain that to them. There's another word that goes with it, friends. <laughs> they work in chicken the way other people work in marble and clay. Big, you know, they work at it, you know, chip away at it, stand back. <laughs> you know, I, I'd love to see a, I'd love to see a general statue made out of the real stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, every time we used to do that, you know, at night when we'd go past to the orderly room. We would vie with each other, who would make the chicken sound tonight? <laughs> and you know, I can remember my whole company skulking by on the other side of the company street in the dark, and you'd hear, buck, 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 buck. and then you'd hear the slam of that desk, and you'd see Robinson standing there. 
It's sort of like a combination of arrow, little touch of Mickey Mantle, and, a, and just the slightest dash of Patty Shayevsky. You know, very interesting combination. And Robinson would stand out there and he'd look. He'd just stand. Then he'd turn. West Point. One day, I got the word. I'm sitting in the barracks. You know how you do. You're picking your ear. <laughs> just sitting, you know. You know, it's the barracks sit, you know. Just sit. You know, sit like this. You're wearing your underwears all hanging down. You never see these in the movies, you know. You never, everybody just sitting with their underwear on, you know, just sitting like that. Not a word is being said, you know. We're just putting in our 19,000 years, that's all. Because all of us had a little thing on the card that says the duration plus six, which could have meant six eons, you know, almost anything. So we just have made our peace with it all. This was our life. We're just sitting there like this. And every once in a while, this little PA system would go on, see. It would go, ah. You'd hear the oily room. Ah. Shepard, come to the oily room right now. Pshpow. Get up, you know. You start putting on your pants. You hitch them up. You're going in to see Robinson. Some more chicken. You know, you've been getting it for years. You don't care anymore. Put your tie on. Then it goes, bah! Where are you, Shepard? I'm coming. Get on a ball. Down I go. Into the orderly room. Now, to those of you who don't know what an orderly room is, this is a company's front office. And there's always a little desk with one of these little swinging gates. And behind it is what is known as the CQ. Just the company clerk sitting there, you know, and over here, and over here is, is the first sergeant, and in the room is God. <laughs> and it says, Captain L.D. Robinson. Boom. That's it. So I walk in there. I figure the first sergeant's got it on one of his details. I walk in. I said, what do you want? He said, Captain Robinson wants to see you. Sit down. Captain, he never talked to me, you know. I never even saw him, just except in the distance, walking around with that flat gut, you know. So I sit down and wait. This is a very embarrassing, discouraging moment, you know. When you're talking to your boss, if you think it parallels a discussion with your boss, forget it. That the captain of a company, you can't quit. <laughs> that makes a big difference, you know. You can't walk in and say, I quit! Oh, you can't give me that junk! I quit! Walk out! Oh, no, you know. I'm sitting there, waiting. <laughs> that West Pointer, you know, you know. Whenever I see movies about the West Point with Van Johnson, I think of this guy, you know. I'm waiting. And then I hear that bellow. Sullivan! You walk to the door. Open the door and you go like this. This is the attention walk, you know. You walk in, you stand like this. Corporal Shepard reporting as ordered, sir. And that little flicker of the eyebrows. He has detected my sir, which was said with little hooks on it. Reporting as ordered, sir.
Then you could just see his gut go in. He says, Shepard, do you have a GI driver's license? I says, what? You know what is this? No. He says, go on down to the motor pool now. Report to the motor pool in 10 minutes. Okay. Here is where we enter the realm of the unknown army. None of you have ever seen this in the movies. They never make movies about the motor pool. This is a very special bunch of soreheads. In fact, have you ever been in a garage, in the back room in the garage? You know those, all, those little greasy guys that, that, that have a very special world and they hit people? And they're mad, and they hang around, and they lay under cars and all that. You, you sort of stand and look helpless, you know, you watch. That is the motor pool. These guys are as snotty as anybody in the Army, because they're in charge of the wheels. And when the man, in, uh, I'm serious, when a man in this world has the key to transportation, he has the key to it all. Life. This is the first time I've ever been sent in a motor pool, you know, and so I go down there, and here it is, a tremendous park full of cars. They've got tanks, they've got half-tracks, they've got weapons carriers, they've got jeeps, they've got a thousand types of army vehicles, and you've seen them in the movies, you know, those big things with the treads, those things that make those fantastic, and the guys wear the helmets and all that, and there I am at the motor pool. I go up to the sergeant there and I said, I'm Corporal Shepard from the 8132nd. And he says, oh yes, he said, you're going to get the full accreditation. We're going to check you out on everything. You're going to come down here every day for the next month. And you're going to be checked out on every vehicle we've got. Can you drive it all? <laughs> Can I drive? Oh man, you know, you know, this is a great feeling. I says, yeah, yeah, I have a drive. He says, come on back. Hey, Schultz, come here. And from underneath a weapons carrier comes Schultz. I will never forget old Neanderthal Schultz. Schultz is one of these little bent-over guys, you know, with a size 48 neck, stubble. Schultz is a motor pool corporal who's been driving stuff ever since they had chariots in the army. Schultz comes over and he says, what do you want? The sergeant says, check Shepard out, will you? on the M7. He said, okay, let's go. M7? I didn't know what an M7 was. I said, okay, okay. So we go down through the long lanes. This, is, this would make a great, by the way, this would make a terrific sequence in something like combat. It really would. So we go down through the lanes of these equipment, these vehicles, one after the other, and we arrive in front of a tank. A real tank. There it's sitting there, see? He says, all right, come on, let's go. He climbs up the side of the tank. I climb up the side of the tank. He says, get in. He says, can you, can you drive? I said, yep. He said, all right. He said, this, this is a lever-operated, semi-cantilever, operated-type track-tread vehicle M7. Give me your card. And they have a little blue card. And the blue card is your army driver's license. It folds. And it has all the vehicles in the army listed. And he, he initials. L.D. Schultz. M7. He says, now here's the way it works. It starts out like this. 
There's a big believer. What a feeling. Oh, man. This was the greatest feeling I've ever had. You know, it's boom, boom, boom. You hear that motor. What kind of a motor does it have, Schultz? He says, this has a four-cylinder diesel-operated generator multiplex motor built by Cummins Diesel. And I, you know, I'm sitting there in my seventh heaven. He throws it into gear. He kicks one. He says, each kick on the lever here puts it into the next gear. Kick it over to the side and in. It's in neutral. Kick it all the way over and down. It's in reverse. Each one of these operates the tread. This one operates the tread over here. This one operates the tread over there. Gong, gong, gong. And old Schultz, all of a sudden, became King Kong. You never saw a metamorphosis like that. It's got a little slit in front of you. You ought to have the feeling of security you get. In driving a vehicle, that has a periscope to look at it, you know? Nothing but iron all around you and an 18,000 horsepower motor driving you with the big treads. And we go to the tank course. Oh, boy. If you think, believe me, if you think US-4 is bad, the tank course has rocks, it has water, it has holes in the ground, and we're going, ah! we're pointing straight up. And I'm, I'm just hoping they're going to start shooting at me with a bazooka. You get this terrible feeling, oh, I'll get them, I'll get them, you know, and I can, you know how those movies you see all the time and you can see the Nazis coming at you and I'm driving a tank? Well, we do this for a half an hour. We go back, and Schultz says, okay, you checked out on the M7. I said, that means I am qualified. <laughs> now to get after Rommel personally. And with that, he says, now, I'm going to take you over. I'm going to show you the number two Series 7 M3 weapons carrier. Get up. What a beautiful vehicle. This is it stands like 30 feet high. It's a great big sort of truck-like affair. And it's, it's got big seats in the back. It's got places for, for ammunition and flamethrowers. And we take off in the weapons carrier. Well, now here's where we're getting to the point of the story. We are driving this thing around. What a magnificent... It has 18 speeds forward. You know, it's all those speeds and all that stuff, you know. It's got all little tags all over the front of it, you know, that says, in case of air attack, jettison lever seven. You know, that kind of thing. It says, sandblasting equipment. It's got it all there. It says, be careful of mines. And I'm driving this thing, and it's got these big, heavy rubber tires and the track and the treads, and you can hear it banging and booming. Nobody can hear anything. And Schultz, all of a sudden, after about 10 minutes in this, this piece of equipment, nudges me at the elbow. And he says, you want a beer? <laughs> and I says, yeah, yeah. And with that, Schultz drives right out of the motor pool, down the company street. Fantastic thing. We come to the gate, you know, and there's, she's got a weapon carrier, big thing. Old Schultz has been in the Army, you know, since Washington. So we drive up to the MP, and he says, Hey, there's a Schultz! Shut up, you! Blah. 
There's no MPPFC going to get Schultz, you know. And we go roaring into town, and you'll never guess where we went. No. Little Silver. Little Silver, New Jersey. <laughs> For you Jersey fans, we are driving... Oh, now, wait a minute. At ease, at ease, at ease. At ease. The point of the story is not Jersey. We are driving down the main street of Little Silver, New Jersey in a 9,000-ton weapons carrier. And Schultz is sitting there, you know, and it's got these bumpy treads, and all down around us, about knee-high, are the little Fords, <laughs> the little Chevys, and once in a while you can hear them crunching, you know? <laughs> like stepping on bugs. <laughs> and old Schultz is working the thing, and we arrive in front of the tavern in Little Silver. Boom! Silence. And the old weapons carrier sits there, and you can hear the sound of the pan dripping. Doing, doing, doing. The heat coming off the hood of it, did all the whole business. And Schultz gets down and says, let's get in and have a beer. And we go inside, and we're sitting in the tavern. Schultz and I are both there with the beer in front of us. Out in the, in the sunlight is our weapons carrier. When we see this cop, <laughs> the cop is putting a ticket on a weapons carrier. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You know how when the ticket, it says, make a car? The cop is walking around, see? <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. The Schwartz goes, old Schultz goes to the window and he hollers out. He says, it's an M2 weapons carrier, Series B. And the cop says, thank you. He's writing it down. And then Schultz hollers, won't do you no good. We're going overseas. <laughs> the cop just rips it up, you know, walks away. What a sense of power. We drink our beer, and old Schultz says, how about another beer? I'm buying. This is the regular army, by the way. So he pulls another one, and we drink the beer. We get back out in the street. Schultz stands in front of the sting, and he says, okay, you'll take it. He has already lapped up nine of them, you know, so he's a little pie-eyed. He says, you'll take it. So I get into this weapons carrier got a big canvas seat, you know, and a strap. You strap yourself in. Oh, what a beautiful piece of gear that is. Now, I have to warn you, I am strictly a one-beer commando. I have had at least three beers. And we take off down the main street of Little Silver in a weapons carrier on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> that thing steered. You know that old expression, it steered like a Mack truck? <laughs> I couldn't get it over, yeah? <laughs> like this. And Schultz just hollers, just keep going, they'll get out of your way. <laughs> okay.
Well, all the way back from all the way back from Little Silver, I'm driving. I'm in seventh heaven. I'm driving a weapons carrier. We come in through the gate. Schultz hollers out at the MP, "Shut up!" In we go. It's old Schultz's baby, you know. We go barreling down through the company street into the MP, into the motor pool, roar up into the slot, turn her off, boom, and she stops. Schultz says, You know, kid, you got talent. <laughs> One of the greatest compliments I ever had paid in my life. And I said, I said, Schultz, what do you mean, talent? You're natural. You know what? I'm going to put in for a transfer for you from that that little lily-livered outfit down there that you're in. Them radar guys. You ought to be here in the motor pool. And then I got scared. <laughs> well, now these these. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of the uh, of the fearful, what radio station is this? <laughs> Oh, are they scared? <laughs> oh, they're scared. You know, every week they have seven guys down at the station listening carefully, <laughs> deathly afraid that this may be the night that Shepard says it. Should I say it, friends? Come on, let's hear it. All right, now wait a minute. Let's put it to a vote. All of you who want me to really say it tonight, let's hear it. Yeah! All of you who don't want me to say it tonight, let's hear it. Yeah! The no's have it. What do you mean no fair? This is a democracy. In a democracy, the minority always rules. Uh-oh, that was a sore head applause. <laughs> well, all right, now, 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 at ease, gang. Just, just be calm. That, uh, that I, I suspect that, that this week you're going to probably see more religious observance of this American phenomenon, the car, down at the International Automobile Show at the Coliseum than you could ever possibly. And I would like to recommend this to you. For those of you who even hate cars, and they are many, they are almost all chicks, I would suggest that you go down there just to look at it as a phenomenon. Yes, right, it's fantastic. Because in 50 years, people are going to ask you, you mean you were actually around in the 1960s and you saw it? And all you can say is, no, I thought it was silly. <laughs> Well, I want to tell you, I have threatened to tell the story of the great generator hunt for weeks now. And, and I, I, do you want to hear it or not? Yeah. All right. I'll warn you, though, it has to do with a car. Yeah. Okay? All right. Well, well now, <laughs> I don't think... I, I, I really seriously don't think that there is anything more exciting. Well, I can think of one or two things more exciting, actually. But rhetorically speaking, <laughs> I don't think there are many things more exciting
to the average male than a genuine gold-plated A number one junkyard. Oh, come on. You're not a male. I'm sorry, honey. No, I'm serious. Uh, there is something exciting about a junkyard. Almost every male that I know, this is not a female thing. Now, come on, at ease out there. At ease. They always get restive after a station break. I wonder why that is. At ease. I don't think this is a female thing. But almost every male of my acquaintance spent a good part of his youth as a kid looking for junk. How many males walk along today with that funny little stoop, you know, looking for something? Do, do girls walk around the streets looking for stuff? I don't think they do. They do? Well, she's got a mustache, too. I can tell the type. She does everything men does. Everything, friends. And she, yes, everything. You'll learn about that one day, too, kid. And, and you know, almost every kid, when I was living in Hammond, Indiana, as a kid, the big deal in the springtime was to go junkie. You know what that is? What an exciting thing. And that's going up and down the alleys, just looking for stuff. Oh, boy, do you get a liberal education in life. Because you'd be surprised what people throw out. You'd be surprised at the things you find which have no explanation at a certain point in your life, you know? You find this stuff, you kick it, I wonder what this is. And Josway comes over and says, I wonder what that is. All of a sudden, a lady is out there emptying the garbage. She says, get away from that, you kids. And you don't know what it is you saw, you know? Oh, it begins to develop a kind of mystique. And, and almost every guy that I knew who had a car at that period did his own work. He would fix his own car. He would grind his own valves. Oh, that great feeling on a Saturday afternoon with the valve grinding composition. You know, you're grinding away and you can smell that oil. Your fingernails are all busted. You got that excited feeling that in 15 minutes you're going to have the head back on, you know, and you're going to try to get this thing going for the night. You know, and you're working away. This is a Saturday afternoon thing. One day, my Ford burnt out a generator. I tried to rewind the generator. Now, that might mean nothing to you women, but rewinding a generator is roughly like trying to fill your own teeth. You understand that? <laughs> With nut picks. And so I am week after week, I'm down in the basement, you know, I've got the armature, I've got it in the vise, you know, and I've got the wire and all this stuff. I could not get that thing to work. I could not get the insulation in right. And then finally, it had to happen. I said to myself, well, got to get a new generator. That meant looking for a new generator in the junkyards. What an exciting feeling it is to go from one junkyard after the other, see? And you're looking for a 37... Hey, Eddie's up there for crying out loud. 
you're looking for a 37 Ford generator. Now, this car had 19 owners. And you can always tell when a car has had a lot of owners because the bolts on key parts are worn. You can see where they've been taken off and put on countless times, you know. The paint is good, but inside you can see where those head bolts have been taken off 50 times. And that was my 37 Ford, which I loved. I'll tell you, I loved it almost as much as I loved Esther Jane, <laughs> which was a hell of a lot, I can tell you, you know. And, and every Saturday, me and Flick would head for the junkyards. Well, I don't know whether you've ever dealt with a junkyard owner. He's got 17 million cars all piled up in various states of disrepair, and they're there for the purpose of salvaging parts from them. And he stands at the front of his little junkyard by the little shack waiting for victims. Yeah, he does, you know. He stands there, and he's always... He's always some great character, he's usually a bow hunk or he's something like that, you know. And so every Saturday I'm looking for this car. I'm looking for a 37 Ford in the junkyard exactly like mine. I find none. 36 Ford, 38 Ford, I find 41 Fords, I find 23 Fords, I find 1918 Essex. I saw a great Graham Page of a classical vintage. Week after week, I'm searching for that great generator. Maybe this is why my favorite piece of fiction is Moby Dick. <laughs> Moby Dick and the Pursuit of the White Whale. I began to have fantasies that there were no such generators, that I had the only 37 Ford that all the other 37 Fords were either dead and gone or running. I went down to Montgomery Wards, and I said, uh, I want a 37 Ford generator out of stock. And then came the day. Then came the day. Here is a pile of cars. 17 cars piled up one on top of the other. A great pyramid of automobiles. And right there in the middle, down near the bottom, is a crushed 37 Ford. And I am there with the friendly Armenian who is running the place. And I said, uh, does it have a generator? I can see it. Does it have a generator? He says, yep. I said, how much? He said, that will be two dollars and a half for that generator. It will be $7 if I remove it. <laughs> I said, okay, let's go, Flick. And in we go. We are fighting our way through this pile of cars, and we work for three solid weeks. Every Saturday, I'm in there burrowing through the metal until finally I am now in the engine compartment. Now, I don't know how this car died, but there were bullet holes in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you ever... Listen, I'll tell you one time I had the chance... Did I ever tell you the greatest used car buy that I ever saw? Seriously? A friend of mine bought a Buick one time down on Stony Island. The God's honest truth is a true story. 
He bought a Buick, one of the big Buick centuries. Great big black one. And it was a fantastic buy. He got it for about 150 bucks. No, no, it wasn't that old. Stop at wire wheels. Get out of here. There's a big, beautiful Chrysler or Buick Century sitting out there, magnificent. And he drove it to school. And every day he'd drive this thing to school, and the chicks were dying. And all of us, you know, with our little crummy cars, it was this fantastic thing that Jack Martin had. That's a true story. One day, Jack Martin arrived home with three other kids, and they were going to wash the car because they were sharing the car to school. These kids were going to take the upholstery out. They were going to vacuum clean the whole bit, you know. And the three kids are back there taking the back seat out. I am across the street with Flick and Bruno, you know, just fooling around. And all of a sudden, we hear this holler. I hear a yell. I hear Martin holler. Flick says, what's happened? Let's go over. We go over there, and they've got the back seat out and laying right there against that, you know, that rear wall under the back seat there between the trunk? There are seven clamps. There is a Thompson submachine gun. <laughs> Not only is there a Thompson submachine gun, there are three sawed-off 12-gauge shotguns. Have you ever seen a sawed-off shotgun? It's got a barrel about that long. It's got a big stock, and it's got notches in it. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> Martin had one problem, boy, I'll tell you, explaining that to his old man. Well, that was the kind of car world we came out of. And Flick and myself are working on this generator week after week. Three weeks go by. And now we're in the engine compartment, and there it is. You know, I don't care whether you like cars or not. Do you know that exciting, ecstatic feeling of at last discovering something that you have been hung on all of your life, it seems like? Something of fantastic importance to you. Like that chick that you've been looking for. That book that you've been searching for for a year, all of a sudden, there it is on a rack. And you reach for it, just as you reach for it, somebody else gets it. You know, you know that thing? Well, here is a generator. Now, I don't know whether you know about generators, but they're very tricky things, and there it is, you know. It's all there, it's got the condenser on the side of it, and I got the belt in there, and I'm trying to get this thing off. I bust the bolt off. Oh. Flick, will you, will you tell the Armenian we need a drill? We've got to drill the thing out. And I, I'm in a tunnel, you see. I've tunneled all the way into this car, and Flick is on the outside pumping the oxygen in, you know, <laughs> handing in the tools, you know, we're working away like this. And the Armenian hands in his electric drill with the long cord, and I'm trying to drill the thing. I'm sweating, it's hot. I can smell the paint and the oil and the grease and the crud, but here is that beautiful, indescribable generator. A generator. Two dollars and a half. It's mine. Look at it. It's beautiful. Ah, doing. Oh. All right, give me the wrench again, will you, Flick? Goom, goom. There it is. Pull me out, Flick! 
I got this thing clutched to my breast. I get out in the sunlight, my generator. My car, you know, has been laid up now for a month and a half. And I've missed dates, the whole scene. You know, this car is my lifeblood. I've got a generator. I say, flick. Take my wallet out of my back pocket. I don't want to let go of it. I don't want to drop it. I stick my behind out there. He takes my wallet out. He gives him two dollars and a half. The Armenian says, thank you. And we both come. I say, Flick, you cover the back, will you, when I get out? I don't want this guy to get it. Into Flick's car, and I'm sitting in the front seat holding the generator like this. You know, like, like the Tiffany jewels. I'm sitting there. All the way home, I got the generator. I don't want to drop it, you know. They're very sensitive, you know, generators. I'm holding this thing like this. Finally, I get home, walk out, back out to the garage. There's my Ford. Ooh, <laughs> oh, boy, I go to lights, and I am into that motor mount. I've got that generator. I'm putting it on, hooking it all up. I lay that, you know, that belt just got to stretch down. Oh, my hand. Dunk. My car's got a generator. I get inside. I watch that amp here. Nothing. Nothing. It's not charging. It's discharging. Ooh, off I go. I get out. I tighten the belt. You know, the, the belt. Back I go out. I have bought a burnt out generator. Oh. I get up out of the car, go back out to the front of the thing. I look at it. A burnt out generator. And there over on the workbench is my other burnt out generator. I have the biggest collection of 37 Ford burnt out generators now in America. I have bought somebody else's problems. I could just see this guy automatically. Of course, it goes through my mind this previous owner, this guy that was being pursued by bullets, who was finally being chased to his grave by a car with a bad generator. Oh, I'm standing there looking at it, and I hear the kitchen door open and close. It's my old man. My old man who has been fighting cars since he was eight. I hear the sound of him walking up the gravel. He comes in. He said, hey, let's go down and clean the basement. What's the matter? I got a burnout generator. I bought a burnout generator, Dad. It's burnt out. He said, let's take a look at it. You know how fathers are, you know. He said, let's take a look at it. He said, let me take a look at your other generator. And he goes back over and he looks at it. You got the leads reversed. I got the leads reversed. He said, here, let me fix the brake. He puts the leads back. He's trying it out. I get in the car. 
at that meter goes boom. Oh. All the way over to the pin. I have the greatest generator in the Western world. And the old man says, well, you just got to watch the leads, the color coding. You know how Ford is. And he walks out. Is it any wonder that fathers are supermen? Now, don't applaud yet. Is there a man among you who is a father who could do that today? Yeah, there's always some little chick that goes, yeah. <laughs> Try your daddy on it if you want, hon. <laughs> That's why you never ask a rhetorical question in this world today. The world is full of demonstrators. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to say this, that the great generator hunt Ever since that time, whenever I look at a car, you know, and somebody's got that hood open down at the gas station, I'm amazed at the number of people who don't even know what these round things are. <laughs> they don't know what these little bumpy things are that make the ticking sound. They have no idea what this big green thing is down at the bottom, you know. In fact, I one day saw a guy who had, who was having voltage regulator trouble and what was he doing at the Esso station he was taking off his air cleaner <laughs> you know <laughs> and I, I saw him see I could see he's got voltage problems I, I walk over to him and I said I said to him uh, you got a screwdriver and he said screwdriver what's that yeah and I said well I got a screwdriver so I take out a dime and I start taking off that little voltage regulator, pull it off, and there's the relay, you know, I click it a couple of times, put it back on, and the car goes. And he stood there like it was magic. Absolute magic. Well, there is magic everywhere. If you know how to work at it, if you know how to dig at it. In fact, it was just at that period, right in the middle of my generator period, that my Aunt Glenn pulled in the springtime one of the worst things that's ever happened to me all the way through my growing up period. Each one of us has had a problem like this. Have you ever had an aunt or a grandmother or an uncle who never could realize that you were grown up? Who even now says, gee, you're growing. You say, well, gee, Ma, I'm 48, you know? <laughs> Am I still growing? You know, that kind of thing. Have you ever had... You, we've all had that kind of aunt. Well, I had this maiden aunt, which I never talk... I never talk about this lady because she was always very embarrassing to me. You know, there's a certain... Some relatives just don't make it. You know, they're way out in the outskirts of that constellation. Have you ever thought of your family as a constellation? A kind of... Not even a constellation, a solar system. And in the middle of every family is the sun. That's spelled with a U. Now, the sun may be a man. It may be a woman. In most Eastern homes, by the way, I notice in New York, it's almost always a woman. Almost all plays are written about women. It's the Gertrude Berg syndrome. You know, the big mama. And, and around her floats the rest of the constellation, the solar system, in ascending order of uh, importance. 
there's all one daughter or one one son who is the favorite son all the other sons hate him all the other daughters hate her whatever it is well we had this aunt glenn who was so far out of our constellation she never even came on sundays once in a great while she'd show up very great while and she kind of smelled musty you know that kind of lady she had rimless glasses she had her hair in tight little circles that kind of lady and she was married to an elderly man who was so old nobody even talked to him you know that kind she had married yeah you know and, and he just never came and, and he was always called uncle tom and and they always said about uncle tom he's sick Uncle Tom was always having leg trouble, and he never showed, you know. He was just once in a great while at some big family reunion, Uncle Tom would show up and sit quietly. He didn't belong because his wife didn't belong, Aunt Glenn. And one spring, now the reason I know it was spring is because it was Easter. Aunt Glenn came to our house, and I'm 16. I got a Ford. I've got a chick, you know, I'm swinging, I'm living life to the hilt. Aunt Glenn showed up with a gift. She had this box, it was an Easter gift. She had one for my kid brother and one for me. And Aunt Glenn, by the way, because she was this strange, sad lady, was very much catered to by all the other aunts when she would show. They'd say, be nice to Aunt Glenn. You know, like, now you just, you'll be good to Aunt Glenn. And we'd have to be good, you know, we're standing, hi, Aunt Glenn. And she would reach out, you know that kind of Aunt Glenn kiss? <laughs> that kind of funny, sort of sweet perfume, and you smell girdles and flower dresses. You know, the aunt smell, she'd kiss us, you know. You're very, very uncomfortable in kids. Well, Aunt Glenn came with these two gifts. Obviously, it was very important. And Aunt Glenn said, Happy Easter. And each one of us had an Easter present, and we had to open it. You know the kind of scene where you've got to open it in front of Aunt Glenn, give Aunt Glenn a kiss, thank Aunt Glenn. So I opened this thing. I couldn't believe it. Me and my kid brother are both sitting there with a pair of bunny slippers. <laughs> Have you ever seen those bunny slippers, you know, with the big fur, with the two ears? They got the two blue eyes, you know? And the silly look, where my Aunt Glenn got a pair of size 10 bunny slippers? I have no idea. Oh, was it a humiliating moment, bunny slippers. And my mother, of course, goes ape. She says, oh, how cute, aren't they great? And my kid brother's just sort of sitting there going, ah, ah, ah. And Aunt Glenn says, try them on, see if they fit. And she's just radiating joy. You know, that kind of Aunt Glenn gift joy. I put on the slippers. They fit magnificently. But there I'm standing with a pair of bunny slippers. <laughs> 16 years old. I want to point out at that point, I was playing on the high school football team. I was a very tough, aggressive kid. Slippers. And Aunt Glenn is sitting there, and she just, oh, isn't that, aren't they sweet? She says, you know, they're very warm. 
They're very warm. And that night, Aunt Glenn left, and my mother said, Now look, if those bunny slippers disappear, well, would you believe it, for two solid years, me and my kid brother, every time Aunt Glenn showed up, had to put on our bunny slippers. And to this day, my Aunt Glenn writes to my mother and says, do I need any more bunny slippers? Well, these bunny slippers lay, you know, it's awful. When you, have, you ever been, have you ever been dogged by things, things that make you sad? Yeah, it's true. Those bunny slippers were in my closet. And every time I saw them, you know, kids are far more sentimental than grown-ups about gifts and things. Have you ever had the problem of trying to throw away a sandwich that your mother made for you for lunch? You know, you feel terrible and awful. Well, those bunny slippers lay in my closet for years. I came home from the army. And I, and I'm serious, I came home from the army and there are all my clothes hanging and down at the bottom of all the stuff there are those two little bunny slippers. Only, you know what happens with bunny slippers? They're like any other bunnies. There were seven pairs of bunny slippers now. <laughs> they get together. But seriously, these bunny slippers lay down there at the bottom of my, at the bottom of my closet. And to this day, believe it or not, in Hammond, Indiana, in a closet, waiting for me, are a pair of bright yellow bunnies with little blue eyes and pink ears. Oh. 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 And to those of you out there who all of your life have been dogged by things, gifts that your cousin gave you, handkerchiefs that your mother gave you, gifts that your boss gave you, and you can't get the guts to throw them out. Wouldn't it be great if we had a national holiday that would just say, get rid of things day. And everybody at once could throw away the guitar they never learned to play. <laughs>